You are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good show for you today. We're going to talk about what we saw yesterday in the Pro Bowl, how it matched up to what we've seen in the past, some of the good, some of the negative about it. I'll go over and give you my thoughts about it. Uh, I do have some information regarding the Super Bowl, some trends to look at, including one crazy one involving the coin flip, if you haven't heard this one yet. Uh, quarterbacks with experience in the Super Bowl versus quarterbacks who don't have a Super Bowl experience, which we're seeing this Sunday with Mahomes and Jalen Hurts. And then we've actually got some NBA talk for you, and it affects me personally because I'm a Maverick season ticket holder. They have traded two players and three draft picks to the Brooklyn Nets for Kyrie Irving. I will give you my thoughts on that, and we'll get to that momentarily. All right, let's get started. Uh, First off, let's talk a little early week Super Bowl. As we know, the Eagles and the Chiefs meet up this Sunday in Arizona. I will remind you again, remember what I said the week after the Christmas Day game in Arizona when I made it a point to say, did you notice how many people were slipping on that field? We also had Kyler Murray blow out his knee just planting on that field earlier this year. Again, just keep it in mind for Sunday. For whatever reason, that Arizona field is very slippery. Even though it's grass, I'm curious to see if we have any slippage or maybe they fixed it and they've realized how much. But you remember that game on Christmas Day where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were playing at the Arizona Cardinals and the announcers were even saying, man, this field is slippery. And we know a few weeks earlier is when Kyler Murray had blown out his knee and all he did was run and plant wrong and his knee gave out. Not saying I hope for an injury. I'm just saying we got to look out for it because we've had enough evidence to show that that field, for whatever reason, gets very, very slippery. So a couple things I want to talk about. One of the big storylines going around for the people that are on Kansas City and who want Kansas City to win and are you know, giving reasons why Kansas City will win, they will point to the fact that we'll look at who the Eagles played this year. And granted, it is not a murderer's row whatsoever of quarterbacks and or teams that they've played. You can only play who's put before you. Did they have an easy schedule this year? Absolutely they did. And this is what you need to look at when it comes to the Philadelphia Eagles. This is something that uh, was put out on the internet, but all you had to do was look at their schedule to figure it out. This wasn't any deep dive anyone had to do. But here are the last 14 quarterbacks the Eagles have faced this year. Cooper Rush, Kenny Pickett, Davis Mills, Taylor Heineke, Matt Ryan, Aaron Rodgers, who scored 33 points on them, Ryan Tannehill, Daniel Jones, Justin Fields, Dak Prescott, who scored 34 points on them, Andy Dalton, Daniel Jones, Daniel Jones, Josh Johnson. So no, it's definitely not a murderer's row, and you can look at that and be like, oh my gosh, the Eagles haven't faced anybody close to Patrick Mahomes And if you do take the two quarterbacks that they did face that were halfway decent, Aaron Rodgers and Dak Prescott, one put up 33 on them and the other put up 34 points on them. So you could look at that and be like, wow, the Eagles have never faced anybody like Mahomes. Certainly not this year when they've gone 16-3, and 14-3 in the regular season and 2-0 in the playoffs. It's certainly something to look at. But couldn't you also say that the Kansas City Chiefs, if you're looking to back the Eagles, say they haven't also faced a defense like the Philadelphia Eagles because the Eagles were third in the history of the NFL this year in most sacks. The 85 Bears, which is arguably the greatest defense to ever take the field in the NFL, and I believe the 86 Bears, 
were the two teams that had the most sacks ever in the regular season in the NFL. This year's Philadelphia Eagles were third. So you've got the Eagles' great pass rush going up against a very good offensive line and a gimpy Patrick Mahomes. So we'll see, but it's something to uh, throw out there. I've got a couple other things. One favors the Eagles. One is kind of a neutral stat, and one we won't know yet until the coin toss happens, and that's this. You probably didn't know this. I didn't know this till yesterday, but it did refresh my memory. I probably remembered it. I would have remembered it at some point, but... The last eight Super Bowl coin toss winners have ended up losing the game. So (laughs) just keep that in mind. Doesn't mean that whoever loses the coin toss or whoever wins the coin toss Sunday is going to lose the game. But just know that the coin toss winner eight years in a row now has lost the game. So keep that in mind. We'll see if the streak continues. Um. Here's a very interesting stat that doesn't bode well for the Kansas City Chiefs and does for the Philadelphia Eagles. This is going to be the seventh Super Bowl we've ever had where the league leader in regular season passing yards is playing in that game. Patrick Mahomes led the league in passing this year. It's only happened six other times where the guy that led the league in passing got to the Super Bowl in that same year. His record in the Super Bowl the previous six times 0-6. Again, just a stat, just a trend, somewhat of a small sample size. It's only happened six times in 56 previous Super Bowls, but notable. Clearly, it doesn't matter if you led the league in passing and got to the Super Bowl that year because no one's ever won it. Could Patrick Mahomes be the first on Sunday? Sure. Or the streak could continue and it goes to 0-7. Now, there's another stat out there which is interesting stat because you're like, well, that maybe that says something. Quarterbacks who have played already in a Super Bowl going up against a guy who has not played in the Super Bowl yet, which is what we have this Sunday. Mahomes has already played in two. He's one and one. Jalen Hurts clearly playing in his first Super Bowl. Well, what's the record on that? Is there an advantage if you've already played in a Super Bowl? The answer is not really. It, it has happened 34 times out of 56 Super Bowls. And the quarterback who's had more experience and who's played in a Super Bowl before and is playing in another one going against the quarterback who hasn't, the quarterback who has played in one is 19 and 15 straight up. So, you know, not a huge advantage, but they have won more than they lost. So I guess we can keep that in mind. But, you know, this is something to where I'd say I'd say that's pretty even. So these are just stats to throw out there. I know like people like to impress their friends with it. So go tell your friends on that one. Coin toss winner hasn't won eight years in a row. The league leader in passing six times has gotten to the Super Bowl that same year and has never won. And quarterbacks with Super Bowl experience playing against someone who hasn't had any Super Bowl experience. The experienced quarterback is 19 and 15. All right, let's talk about the Pro Bowl yesterday in Vegas. Actually, it had happened going on all weekend. Yesterday, we got some live stuff, and you got to see some of the stuff that taped on Thursday and Friday. Overall, I'm telling you, this is much, much better to watch than the initial Pro Bowl game, or the original, or what we've watched up until this year. Because that game was an atrocity. Nobody cared. It literally became two-hand touch. I didn't see the point of it. Neither of the guys really cared to be there. Uh, 
give out any sort of effort. Now, were the flag football games yesterday all out and these guys were busting their ass? No, they definitely tried, but they weren't like, you know, press coverage all over the field. They literally stood back from the line of scrimmage five or 10 yards and just gave up short plays the whole time. I mean, do we really want to see in a flag football game the 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 fullback catching passes five yards down the field? Probably not. You know, you want to see somebody quarterbacks taking a chance. And they did. Trust me, there were three different games. So the positive was that you got to see the players interact. You got to see them live mic'd. You got to see them celebrate. I didn't have any problem with it. I thought it was fun. I mean, the, the, the Pro Bowl is, is not supposed to be a serious game anyway. It's supposed to be for fun, and it's supposed to be for the fans, and I think they accomplished that by what we saw this whole weekend in Las Vegas. The other thing, the positive, being in Las Vegas. If you told those guys, hey, we're going to do this same thing, but next year we're going to you know, Jacksonville, no offense to Jacksonville, but I think these guys just want to spend a weekend in Vegas. So this is a lot easier for them to digest and I don't know if this is going to be a yearly thing where it's always going to be in Vegas now, like the Pro Bowl was always in Hawaii, but I, I could see this I, I could see this being a thing, a, a yearly thing in Vegas. I don't see why you have to do it somewhere else. But I enjoyed the game. Like I said, it wasn't super competitive, but they were definitely trying way more than they do in the Pro Bowl that we knew up through this year. I'd say the negatives about this weekend was the scoring system was so confusing because you had stuff that happened on Thursday where teams could rack up points. And going into yesterday, the AFC was already beating the NFC 9-3 to in points based on things and events that took place on Thursday. And then there were three flag football games, and each of them were worth six points each. And then there were also... three or four games yesterday, the best catch ball, the obstacle course one, the uh, kick tack toe one. Like, okay. I I get the point system sort of, but going into the third flag football game, the AFC had a six point lead over the NFC. So when the NFC won that third game, technically they tied in overall points for the whole weekend. But the NFC's declared the winner because they won two of the three flag football games yesterday. Okay, that makes somewhat of sense. But here's my question. What if the AFC or the NFC had a bigger lead than six points going into that third game of flag football? Would they have even played it? And if they did, it wouldn't have any meaning whatsoever because they're only worth six points. So it was a little confusing, the point system. And plus, like I said, it went on all weekend and... We only some of the stuff was live yesterday. Some of the stuff that they showed was taped Thursday and Friday. The other thing that I think they need to tinker with is the best catch. That was dumb. Now the best catch semis that were held Thursday and Friday, you had Matt Leinart throwing a ball off the Eiffel Tower that Justin Jefferson was going to catch. You had Stefan Diggs in a pool catching one-handed. Those were kind of funny. But then the finals, did you see that? Amon Ross St. Brown against Stefan Diggs? What the hell was that? That was literally stuff you see kids doing in their backyard off the diving board. It was just like, hey, you go run off the diving board, I'm going to throw you a football and catch it before you land in the water. Like There was zero creativity behind that. Not to mention, 
Michael Vick, who was one of like the guest quarterbacks, was literally throwing a football three yards to a guy jumping off a trampoline onto a giant cushion. I thought the final was going to be like, hey, you need to throw a 50-yard out pattern and get your feet down before you step out of bounds. Like, you're lobbing a ball to a guy who's standing three yards away from you. That's not a best catch scenario. It just, uh, That was the worst one. They probably need to change that up because it was really, really stupid. Let's be honest. <laughs> that was dumb. The other stuff I was fine with, and those and the players seemed to love it, especially the one where they had to take the weights off the wall and had to run back around and pull the wall to a certain uh, yard line and best two out of three one. I thought that was cool. I thought the obstacle course was actually somewhat challenging where you had four different players from each conference doing something, you know, jumping a wall and going under a net and then hitting a buzzer and then the next guy ran and the offensive lineman had to push a sled. Like, that was a good obstacle course, I thought. The best catch ball was just the stupidest thing. That was just the dumbest, and that needs to be somehow changed. And it's basically like the best catch ball is essentially what the dunk contest is in the NBA. Too many failures, too many, oh, I missed it, and you know, too many tries. Just wasn't good at all. They have to tinker with that before next year. But overall, I'd much rather watch what I watched yesterday than anything that they've ever delivered on Pro Bowl weekend in the past. It just, it's not entertaining. This was at least entertaining. I don't care that the guys are playing in shades and bucket hats and their hats are on backwards. <laughs> that doesn't matter to me uh, when you play in a, in a in a flag football game. That doesn't change anything. And you can tell when the players wanted to make a play and needed to make a play, they would try. But are you going to go all out in you know quarter number one and you know try and play press coverage and mix up your defensive schemes? No, they were just like, okay, I'll let them catch a five yard out, five yard slant, and pull a flag. So. Um, but way better, way better than anything they've ever delivered. So I'm curious to see what the ratings were on that yesterday. All right, I'm going to spend the last five minutes or so going over the big trade yesterday in the NBA, what it means for the Dallas Mavericks. As you know, maybe you don't know, I'm a Dallas Mavericks season ticket holder living here in Dallas. I have been for at least the last I think six or seven years ago is when I took over the package by myself. My dad had it for about 10 or year, ten or so years before me. And then he just said, I don't want to go to the games anymore. You know, you take over the payments. And so I do. And I have a half season package. So I get about 21 games, home games a year out of the 41. And I probably go to anywhere between 10 and 14 games. And then the other seven or so I'll either sell back or put them up or just give them to friends, and they can go. Um, so obviously I have a rooting interest in the Mavericks, um, I, but I'm, I am very objective about them. I am not a homer whatsoever. I am. My dad's the one that's a homer, and I'm always kind of talking him off the ledge when it comes to the Mavericks. But yesterday's trade for Kyrie Irving, you know... <laughs> It's one of these things where you can have these hot takes right when the trade happens. But again, just like most everything else in sports, there's nothing black and white here. We just don't know what we're getting with Kyrie. Now, if you take his past into consideration, you kind of know what you're getting. You're getting a guy who is one of the best, if not the best, point guard in the NBA scoring-wise. Does he play a lick of defense? No. No. Do the Mavericks need help on defense? Absolutely. 
Did they get rid of their defense, best defensive player in this trade? Yes, they did in Dorian Finney-Smith. And they got rid of a good scorer in Spencer Dinwiddie. But the bottom line was the Dallas Mavericks are sitting there right around 500. There's a bunch of teams in the West all bundled up right around 500. Nobody was talking about the Dallas Mavericks this year, one year removed from going to the Western Conference Finals. And Mark Cuban is a guy who likes to make a big splash. This is the third year in a row right at Super Bowl time, because this is right around always when the trade deadline is, that the Mavericks have made a big move. Two years ago, they traded for Kristaps Porzingis right during Super Bowl week. Last year, they traded Porzingis away. <laughs> Actually, two year, it was three years ago for Porzingis. He's been on the team for two years. And then last year, right at Super Bowl week, they traded Porzingis away from the team to the Wizards to get Spencer Dinwiddie. And then this year, they trade Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, and three picks two second-round picks, and the first-round pick in 2029, which is nothing. Nobody's going to care in 2029. They gave this pick away. So they get, So that happens yesterday, and Mark Cuban is looking to make a splash. And the bottom line is it's a big risk. And here's the thing. Kyrie Irving can sign a four-year extension in the offseason if the Mavericks re-sign him. They can re-sign him for four years and the max number, which is some ridiculous number that's going to make him 45 or $50 million a year. And maybe it's 40 or 45 a year. I don't know the exact number. But they've already said there is no future deal in place. They could technically lose him this offseason, and they just gave away three picks and two players to rent a guy for three to four months. That's the risk they're taking. Because there's no guarantees that Kyrie is coming back to this team. They've even said it themselves. They're going to let the season play out and then determine, do we want to re-sign this guy? If they don't, yes, it's definitely a hit that you gave up Dinwiddie and Dodo, which is Dorian Finney-Smith's nickname. It is a hit that you take by giving them away. However, you will have about 35 to $40 million in cap room to go after somebody else this offseason. So it's not a total loss if Kyrie doesn't come back. The problem with this deal to me is I just don't see where this gets them in the Western Conference. I'm, I'm very well aware that Kyrie Irving can put up 30 to 40 points in any game he wants to. And having him play with Luka, this is Luka's literally first superstar that he's ever been paired with since he's been on the Mavericks. So it will be interesting, and I guarantee you, you can mark my words, come back to this podcast on February 6th, I guarantee you, there's going to be multiple games the rest of the season with 30 games left. Once these two are on the court, that you're going to see them play together and be like, holy shit, that might be the best backcourt in the NBA this year. Like Luka will put up 35 and, and, and Irving will put up 30. Or they'll both put up over 35 and you're going to be like, oh my gosh, what a great backcourt. And hey, offense is great. And I understand that they needed a, a runner to go with Luca. They needed, they needed to get him a, a partner, a superstar. I just don't know if Kyrie Irving's that guy long-term. I will be the first to admit if I'm wrong, my guess is this doesn't work out, and he's gone after four months. He is playing for a contract. He's very well aware of that. So I could totally see. Kyrie being on board for the next four months and playing the Good Samaritan and saying all the right things and doing all the right things and balling out and averaging 25 to 30 a game. And maybe the Mavericks get to the second round. Maybe they get back to the Western Conference Finals because there is no dominant team in the West. 
And maybe this one-two punch of them is just going to be too tough to outscore in the postseason. I don't know. But if they give him a four-year deal, because if they signed him now, they can do a two-year extension. In the offseason, he can get a four-year deal. If he signs a four-year deal in the offseason, I just don't think he's ever seeing the end of that contract with the Mavericks. This guy has burned every bridge that he's ever had in the NBA. You know, he won a title with Cleveland and within a couple of years, he was gone off that team. He literally quit on the Boston Celtics in the middle of a playoff series against the Milwaukee Bucks. They got rid of him. He goes to Brooklyn and forms this, you know, super team with Kevin Durant and they couldn't even last three years. And he's already turned himself. He's already turned on the franchise and basically said, I want out, which is why they traded him. I thought three years ago when he was sitting on that press conference, when he got brought to Brooklyn, everyone was like, but Kyrie, you've already done this to other teams. No, 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 this is different. Me and Kev, we're, you know, we're in this for the long haul. And then Friday he demands a trade request and two days later he gets it. The guy's just one of the, I mean, you ask anybody in NBA circles, you listen to writers who have covered this league way longer than I have. You listen to podcasts. Everybody knows that Kyrie Irving is literally one of the worst teammates in the history of the NBA. He's not a good guy. He's burned every bridge that he's had. The only thing that he's redeemable for is putting the ball in the basket. Great basketball player. Nobody can ever take that away from him. But there's more about scoring when it comes to team camaraderie, team chemistry, building a winning team. He's not that guy. He never has been and he never will be. He's all about himself. He's always been about himself. And I just don't see where this works long term. Maybe he's great for four months, and can, and that's that's probably the biggest fear I have is that he convinces the Mavericks, if he's on his best behavior for the next four months, that, see, I'm a changed guy. He's not. We've seen him burn bridges everywhere he's gone, Cleveland, Boston, Brooklyn. He's going to do it again. This is who he is. Will I enjoy watching him have a probably a 40-point game at some point the rest of the season? Absolutely. Am I more interested in now using my Maverick tickets for the end of the season to watch him play in person? Sure. But do I think this gets them an NBA championship? Absolutely not. Do I think this gets them to the Western Conference Finals again for the second year in a row? Eh, maybe. But I still think this is a... Uh, unfortunately, I still think this is a first-round exit, maybe second-round exit team. I still, I still don't see it. They traded away their best defender in Dodo, you know, but there, there might still be trades coming. The trade deadline's a week away. There might still be stuff coming. And so I'd have to readjust my opinion if the Mavericks get involved and get somebody else. But they need defensive help. They are one of the worst defensive teams in the league. They're ranked like 26th or 27th in the league in defense. The defensive overall rating sucks. So we'll see what happens. Like I said, I, I'm, not, I'm not thrilled with it, but I will – absolutely buy my time, wait it out, see how it goes and, and at least see how he fits in and see if there's any other trades to be coming and kind of go from there. But, um, initial reaction was, eh, I, I don't see what it really did for them. Honestly. Anyway, thank you all for tuning in. Really appreciate it. Please rate, subscribe and review an Apple podcast. Much appreciated in case you didn't know, and you're interested in the Bachelor side of reality, Steve, uh, had some major spoilers that I released earlier this morning 
They are on the Daily Roundup. They're also on my website. They're also on my Twitter feed, and they're also in my Instagram stories if you want to go check that out. So thank you all for listening again. Really appreciate it. And remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television. See you.